We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. Buenas tardes. <laughs> Buenas tardes, senora. <laughs> Senor. Senora. <laughs> I'm fluid, baby. I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I'm actually reading a book by, did you ever read any of John Irving's books? He did The World According to Garp and Cider House Rules. And... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I yeah. read, I think I read both of those and I read, um, what's the, the thumb? Am I mixing them up? I think I mixed those two authors up. Uh, Uma Thurman played her in the movie. Even cowgirls get the blues. Is oh, that- that's Tom Robbins. Yeah, Tom Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I just- confuse those authors a lot. <laughs> I uh, I just reread that actual book. Even cowboys get the blues recently. Um, okay, you know, and I love the old sage in there who's he's always laughing and um, and his statement. Uh, I believe in nothing. Everything is sacred. I believe in nothing. Everything is sacred. I've always loved that. Yeah, nice. But what, this what book you were bringing is, up the book. What, for oh, what? Well, yeah, this one is John Irving's. It's called In One Person. And, you know, one thing I love about this cat is how he is able to so gently but very thoroughly go into, because he's writing these, you know, long literary novels. Um, a, lot, a lot of people don't have patience for that, but he's able to go really into things that people are dealing with. And in this particular case, it's the it's the life story of a bisexual man coming of age in Vermont and coming out. And so you, you said, I'm fluid, baby. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm just reading this book. It's so interesting to, to read this. And I, you know, I don't know why I chose it, but I just, I love the way he tells stories. Um, and I've loved this because I have a, a, a lot of bi- non-binary friends and I've loved being able to learn more about it in a story form like this. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. We never talk about I mean, this is, well, that's more gender, but we never talk about sex and sexuality. Do you have any desire to talk about that now? <laughs> I feel like I might need to get enough um, inner batteries recharged to be fully on for that conversation. Okay. I'm still let, running let a little bit low. Show, let the record show it's Jacob who's afraid to talk about that. <laughs> All right, Scott. You no, threw we- down the velvet gauntlet, man. You know, I was working on, I'm sure I told you this, uh, I was working on a book that was going to be the follow-up to Big Love, which has nothing to do with Big Love, but it was just going to be my journey through my sexuality. And it was going to be much less, I'm talking about it in the past tense, when I, I had written many chapters for it and had an agent for it. And right before the pandemic, we sent it out to a handful of publishers who passed and we were going to be making the second pass on it and retweaking the proposal a little bit. And the pandemic hit and I lost all interest in it, like completely. Like I wanted nothing to do with that subject anymore. And and I don't know if that will shift. You know what, what I found in these this past couple of years, Jacob, is I don't feel called to write about the past. It's like, it's not where my, 
it's not where my heart's calling me. It's not where my journey's calling me. It's like, what's going on right now? What do you want to do right now moving forward? And somehow, even though I was, I was really loving what I was writing in that book, and I like several of those chapters very much, it still felt like it was giving energy over to old stories. And it just isn't, isn't what I feel like doing right now. I really love pulling this thread with you. Um, I can so deeply relate to that, Scott. Um, and I, I was, that makes me think of Carlos Castaneda's teachers, uh, the Toltecs, shamans, sorcerers. And they were, you know, they'd invited this academic guy who thought he was going to just go study the, the, the shamans and, and write some academic piece about it. They invited him to come and experience with them. And we've talked about this before, I'm sure here. But one of the things that they said was, you, if you do this work, you'll eventually lose your history. Um, not that it won't have happened, but it won't have the weight that it does now. You won't. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced that a lot. Like I look back at my first book, the divine arsonist, and that was written right through the middle of the fire and blood and everything of a identity that was melting down and, um, not at all sure what was coming next and all of that. And I would sit there. I'm, I'm curious if you've had this experience with any of your other work, I'd sit there, I'd sit there at my computer and sometimes like shake and I'd, you know, I'd be like trembling. I mean, it was a very emotional, physical experience for me to write that book. And I've never had that level of, of passion or emotional heat happen again. But I look back at that time and it feels like two or three lifetimes ago. Like I, mm -hmm. I love the guy who wrote that book and I could never write that book again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Even big love, which isn't, it's like all the themes in big love, I still am totally aligned with, you know, it's not that I wouldn't say the same things that I said in there and feel the same way about most of it. I'm sure probably most all of it. Um, except it's just, again, it's all of the, the, it's older stories, a lot of older stories. And so the idea of even writing that book right now is something I don't feel like I could do. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I, I appreciate that, you know, I, I, I like that. It, I, to say, I like that feeling. I mean, I like the feeling of being more engaged with what's happening right now, in part because I, I feel that I'm naturally not being as influenced by what was happening in the past. And we're so often influenced by what was happening in the past in terms of the choices we're making or how we're responding to certain situations. And um, so that feels good. I'm not in any way suggesting I'm like, I have mastered the power of now. I certainly haven't. Um, <laughs> well, but you know, and I'm, I'm glad we're sharing kind of our part of the, of the path here though, Scott, because a lot of people, and I, you and I had an experience with some of them during the, the retreat that I just did, um, a lot of people are coming into self-expression or self-discovery kind of as the very first real deep experience of it. And I just want to say that it's not, I don't feel like there's a goal to get to where it doesn't feel like the past has so much weight. Um, I think that, that that happens. If it happens, it happens naturally. But the experience of, I mean, there's some people in my private group right now who are just cracking open and they're writing poetry every day and they're sharing in the group and it's really deeply emotional. I can feel like part of my, I feel a bit wistful for the days when that's how intense it all felt for me as well. 
Um, and I just want to say kind of, kind of like we've talked about many times here before, you can't affirm your way. You can't affirm over the top of unresolved stuff. Um, you can't just want to get to, oh yeah, my past has no power over me, over me anymore. There's no more energy in that. Like, no, wherever you are right now, if you are feeling intensity and, and, and pain or, or, or the, or the draw of this calling through a time that feels really like a lot of growth and breaking open, love that too, because when it's, when it's done, you'll never probably go back there again in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I love those words. Love that too. Yeah. Why not? Right. Like, like honor all the, the stages and even saying stages suggests that you <laughs> clear some hurdle and then you never face it again. And in my experience, you face every single thing like a thousand <laughs> times over and you're like, Oh, that's still there. You know, yeah. but, but really honoring the, you know, where you are with things. And especially when you recognize that some, some aspect of who you are is opening more to to whatever it is you're experiencing because i think so you know when i look at my um i was going to use the word progress and i guess that that is one accurate word um through my spiritual path and oh, what was i i lost what i was going to say by focusing on that word hold on one second give me one second uh it's gone I don't know. Maybe it'll come back to me. I'm so fucking in the moment. You could have had five minutes if you needed to. Uh, <laughs> just would have sat here. <laughs> That's well, how in the moment I am. I can't even finish sentences that have you begun. You can't even keep your words They're together. <laughs> that was four words ago. <laughs> One thing that I've that really helped me uh, was with what you're talking about. The sense of it's not linear. It's not like you know do and i've had so many people come to me we've worked together or you know and it's like i feel like such a failure like somehow i lost all my all my graduations past these things because here i am dealing with the same goddamn thing again and you know it really helped me in my life to not feel so discouraged by that to begin to visualize it as like a spiral staircase that has a central mm -hmm. column um and it's like no i with every step i take i'm sort of winding around maybe a central issue or two in my life, whatever it might be. And with every step up, if I'm choosing to really want to grow upward, um, then I'm be, every time I spot that central issue again, I'm seeing it from a little bit of a higher perspective, but, but, but it's probably still there. Um, one of mine big ones, and I think we talked about it a little bit the other day, Scott, but one of my big ones is being misunderstood. And when I look deeper into that, it's the fear of rejection and, aban and abandonment of I'm not good enough, you know, um, and that perfectionism that comes from that, that says, if I just do it all perfectly, then no one could possibly misunderstand me. Therefore, I'll be safe, which yeah. is impossible in this world and becoming seemingly much more impossible to have everyone understand. <laughs> yeah. And what happens then is people go silent. You know, and that's what I think we're seeing a lot of people become so afraid of being misunderstood, especially now because people are attacked, you know, in outrageous ways right now. Um, so people don't, they just shut down and don't share anything just to avoid that, those fears that you're talking about. And ultimately, you know, I, so... I've had some experiences on social media, as I know you have, where you write something and it is not well received by 
maybe half the people reading it or, or whatever. And they're very vocal in their unwillingness to receive it. So (laughs) you can just say they're shitheads, Scott. You don't have to feel nice about that. That was a very very vocal way of putting it. Their unwillingness to receive it. (laughs) Then they get real nasty. Right. But it, you know, I was, as you know, not a, a Trump supporter. And, when I would feel called to write about politics, I would. And it was it was rarely, I, I really think honestly, rarely, if ever, was I I was really trying to write about it with um without attacking any Trump supporters. And even in the way that I would talk about Trump, it was clear what I thought about him, but I also like was trying to hold my heart open. But anytime I posted anything like that, um, there would be, it was such a shit show in the comments. And I couldn't even read the comments anymore, like at all, because it would be the Trump supporters telling me what a horrible person I am. And then people defending me to them, but in like super ugly ways too. Like, you know what I mean? It was so awful and it was, and it was so not what I wanted to create in my space. And at the same time, there were moments where I felt the call to write about politics and I wanted to honor that. So the worst experience I had on social media by far was when I came out as unvaccinated in like August or September on Instagram. And because when it was all Trump supporters attacking me, there was still some part of my ego that could dismiss them in some way because I felt like I really don't respect their judgment when it comes to him, you know, and I could... I could elevate myself. My ego could elevate myself. And it still felt horrible to receive all of that energy. But I'm like, okay, well, they're supporting Donald Trump. And um, that's how, you know, that's what what my ego is doing to talk me through it. And then when I came out, it, I, I do call it coming out because my experience around vaccination, which I definitely didn't expect to be talking about today, was it was like continuously coming out because anyone I was going to be hanging out with, I would announce my vaccination status and then wait for that to, to see if I was going to get shamed for, for it or how they were going to react to it or if they would still want to see me, all of these stories. And it was, it took me to coming out as gay. And I know it's not, that we're talking about choice versus not choice. It's a different story, but the the feelings were very similar for me. And, and it was really wild to be experiencing that again and waiting for people to either accept me or not accept me based on finding this out about me. And then when I announced it, um, because I felt like I was keeping, I felt like I had to announce it. It was getting so, it was so ugly, the story about it. And I felt like I was holding this secret and the people attacking me then, and it was like brutal backlash, but it was from my, you know, group my tribe, so to speak, of people, the progressives, the people that I was in agreement with on virtually all my politics attacking me. And it felt like a different level of of intensity and a different level of pain. It felt like being rejected and ostracized by my family, supposedly. You know what I mean? Now, I also want to say no one in my life who is a friend to me, a real friend to me, they're all totally fine with it. You know, they've probably 
whatever their opinions are, it didn't create rifts in anyone in my life that was important to me and who is in my life. But the reason I'm bringing this up, Jacob, is the experience of that for me was really liberating. It was incredibly painful and I was spinning out for days around it. And then it was incredibly liberating. And, and the message from life to me was let go of your need to be liked by anybody, by anybody, by those who aren't inclined to like you, by those who are inclined to like you. Like when you can be free like truly free in how you feel and what you think and free in your willingness to express it, that freedom only comes from a complete letting go of how people receive it. And the the experience around vaccination was a really, really hammered that home for me. And it was like, look, you can, I think that our fear tells us we're not going to be able to withstand whatever backlash we receive if we put ourselves out there honestly, whatever the subject matter is that your fear or shame is telling you you can't speak honestly. And and then you see that you put yourself out there and you actually were, you did survive it. And maybe you lost some acquaintances on the way and maybe a lot of people who respected you don't respect you anymore. And maybe they misunderstand you or maybe they understand you and now they don't like you. And on the other side of all of that noise, you are that much more connected to what is true for you and your willingness to express it. And that for me is liberation. So using this spiral staircase yeah. metaphor, um, cause I want to, I want to go back to my experience also, but what you just said, I love this. And if you were to contrast your process currently, like the last several months with this to something you might've had before, you know, when you hadn't circled the central issue as much or gone up the stairs or whatever, I'm just curious, can you, can you describe progress you note inside yourself? And that's not to say you don't, you didn't feel it intensely and all of those things because you clearly have already said that, but I'm just curious, like how, how did you come into relationship with that feeling differently than you might've done before? With what aspect of the feeling? With the liberation or with the fear around? Just the fear, like, you know, the, the feeling of being rejected, of feeling, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. for me, it'd be feeling angry about those stupid shitheads who don't understand me and how dare they, you know, all the things. That... Yeah, it was, it was all really intense. It's like you said, we just spiral around. And this was my first experience facing facing this amount of backlash from people who are inclined to support my work. And you know what I'm saying? So it was a very different kind of experience, but all of those emotions were just as intense. Are you hearing, you're looking in a way that, are, are you hearing like an echo? Because I kind of am as well. You're not. Okay, never mind. Um, no, so it wasn't, it was super painful, you know, and all of the same things came up in the same way they, they typically come up. But the willingness to be with those things, how to say it? I think what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to another quick story. A friend recently gave me some good, really good news that affected me. And it was news that typically would have sent me just like dancing around. You know what I mean? The house, like, yay, that's great news. I'm so excited. Da, 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 da. And the way it hit was like, it was like, awesome. 
That's great news. You know, and when I was like watching myself experience it, I'm like, this is, this is great. Like you're, you're in your groundedness while you're receiving information that is really positive for you. And it's, and, and so we credit ourselves. I think when we do that, if we receive information that's kind of bad and we can still stay grounded and not spin out, but it, for me, it felt like I'm getting more balanced in general in my life. And so when this situation happened around the vaccination, I went through everything I went through around it, but supporting all of that, what it felt like was there's just a, a deeper level of groundedness and a willingness to say, okay, this is what's happening from the soul speaking. It's like, this is what's happening in Scott's life now. This is the, this is the pain and the judgment and the fear that's going on in this story now. And beyond all of that, we're okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it really does. And I love the second story that you brought in because I feel like it's so good to, you know, it's like pretty easy. seems like it's pretty easy to deal with the, with the amazing stuff that happens. It's the tough stuff that, but I, I think just the fact that you noticed like, oh, I'm processing differently. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, if I, if I look back, Scott, five or 10 years my response was so reflexive Pavlovian, like <clears throat> somebody didn't understand me or was upset with me in any way. I was going to like unzip my entire being and just figure out how to fix that. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so this spiral staircase we're talking about, like I, when I look back and hearing you talk about your experience, like it doesn't change, it doesn't change the fact of the emotion of the event of the, of the trigger. But I love Victor Frankl's statement, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a space and in that space lies our power, our freedom and our power to choose. And so I love that what you're describing and what I've experienced in my life, again, it's not erasing humanity, the experience of, of, of the triggers or the things but I love that the space gets wider and therefore I get to choose a little bit differently. And in the past I would have felt like this. And I know now I have better understanding about some of the things that are happening in the nervous system around traumas and things like that and old triggers. But I know that my nervous system was sending out signals that said, you're going to die. And my, the part of my brain that doesn't process, you know, logically was, was agreeing with that. Like, no, you got to figure out how to fix this. This is a threat, a serious threat to your well-being. <clears throat> and so I've just felt, I felt so grateful in the last couple of years, watching the accrued effects of a daily practice of mm -hmm. tuning into myself, of coming down into the green zone of breathing, of journaling, of doing these things, because I'd noticed I had something just the other day where someone came along and really, really disappointed me, like really a lot. And it felt like such a breach of friendship and, and the connection. And I felt all of those things very intensely. Um, and I just felt so grateful that I didn't have the old response, which for me, Scott was a lot of times, if something like that happened, I would immediately internalize it and say, I did something wrong. I need to fix this mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. in some way. Um, so I'd find myself apologizing or overcompensating in some ways that were not truly respectful to me at all. Um, but being able to have the space developed that says, 
I don't need to react to this at all right now. I don't need to fix anything. And maybe some extra time here will allow the, the waters to clear a bit. And maybe I'll come back to it and have a conversation. And, but knowing like when there's something big that happens, that's an emotional event, knowing that if I try to resolve that in the moment, unless it's just absolutely not a, not a choice not to, if I try to resolve that in the moment, I'm likely going to be whatever I think is the right approach is likely going to be still in a very reactive state, which means it's very unlikely to be long-term beneficial. Yeah. And what you're describing for me is another example of liberation that you gave yourself instead of being reactionary, how you might've been like just giving yourself time and space. And what that does is just, it creates more peace. And I realize more than anything in my life, Jacob, like more than joy, even I'm interested in peace. You know, not that I have to choose between the two. I'd like, I'd like a lot of both, but it's like, I'm, I'm interested in peaceful living. And I, I think of this, uh, it, it was several years ago, whenever Eckhart Tolle's book, The New Earth came out and it was an Oprah book. And it was of course the number one book in the country. And I'll never forget this conversation. It was a video with Oprah and Eckhart Tolle. And she was like being all Oprah, you know, like it's number one, <laughs> you know, like, going, like doing her Oprah thing. And he is just sitting there with, little like he could barely even muster a smile because he so didn't give a shit that his book was number one do you know what i mean it was so there was such a contrast between the two of them in that moment but that moment has stayed with me for years and that's really what i was talking about when my friend gave me the good news and i'm like you just had an eckhart tolle moment you just like received good news without being hyper crazy about it. And I also, I love how excited I can get about things. I'm not discounting that, but understanding that even in that excitement, it's, it's your being moved by external forces, right? It's like your, your emotions are being dictated by external forces. And I feel like the less my emotions are being dictated by any external forces, good and bad, the more peaceful I feel inside. And if I'm, you know, if I look at what am I seeking on this path? I mean, I'm seeking to be accepting and loving and allowing things to unfold. And within that, if I do have like a goal, one goal is, yeah, just more peace, more peace with what, what is, whatever is. Can you, you know? So the... <clears throat> What you described, I, I love, I love doing this and I know you've, we've talked about this before, but I love taking these big words like peace or love or God or creative or forgiveness. And so many of them I find, Scott, if we move down through the levels of how, what they, what they are, what they mean, what, how they actually feel. Um, so to me, peace and joy are two different words to describe a very similar energy. Um, you know, we think of joy as being this like really effervescent experience. And I, that's one to me, that's, that's happiness. That's if, yeah. our minds are so funny, how, how we need to yeah. divide these things up and I then know. call it, call it something and then argue I about what, it. well, no, that doesn't mean that that means this, but yeah. no, but I, when I, when I look at that, I love that 
we can come into an understanding that for me anyway, joy is like this very deep aquifer and it's, and it runs, it runs beneath the surface of life in in every direction. And so when I'm walking through the desert and I'm feeling desperate and thirsty, joy's still there. I might have to dig for it. I might have to be, you know, find, find my connection to it. Um, And when it bursts out of the ground, like a geyser, that's exciting and um, dramatic. And, but knowing that the ground of our being what's deeply under there is this constant state. And I don't know how to describe that, but to me, when that, what you're describing is this deep sense of, of being settled, being, Mm -hmm. and not settled in, not like hidebound and, and whatever, but just like really um, allowing the, the roots of ourselves to, to be nourished by such a deeper flow than, um, than is available on the in the more shallow end of life. Yeah, I appre- really appreciate that distinction too, because you're right. When it really is joy, it there isn't much of a difference between joy and peace because they're emanating from the same source on the same level, beyond all the noise. And and the thing about that, Jacob, is that is within us always. That's the thing I really like to remind people is that that is, that's within you 24 seven, the joy we're referring to, the peace that we refer to, the love that we refer to. It's who we are, I believe at our core, you know, and, and a lifetime of conditioning and experiences and traumas and whatever else. Uh, fears and insecurities gets piled on top of those things, but those things don't ever go anywhere and they don't, they don't lose any of their, their power. It's really about being for me, being more intentional about connecting with them, you know, making that connection, making that relationship a priority in my life. And because peace is a priority in my life and joy is a priority in my life, that automatically nudges me to consider how do I, what choices can I make that allow me to experience more of those things, which automatically creates for me more moments of peace and joy and love in whatever else I'm choosing, right? This is for me the just the base note, like the, the ba- if you can get that understanding that all of these things that we're seeking are within us all the time right now, they are available to us. We don't have to learn anything new. Not really, right? Can we just be intentional about creating and fostering those relationships? Is it okay if I talk about the breathwork process? You're, yeah, you're getting of course. Of course yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, you told me just before we came on the air here that you were getting ready to take this really amazing intensive um, uh, to learn how to be able to offer breath work as part of your work. And I, I was reading just the other day somewhere, Scott, a person, um, a really great article talking about breath work and what medicine it is. And the very act, the simple act of breathing can help us return to the ground of our being, if we want to use that kind of terminology. Um, and if we look at through the polyvagal nervous system chart, like that's coming down into the green zone. It's like, we find out that all of the, 
all of the answers are there. All the information and the guidance, the, the openness to the openness to see the answers uh, is all there. And so I just love that you're adding that to your um, menu of, of work that you'll do with people because I feel like it's so crucial during the retreat. Several people, Robin Jackson and David Gandelman, um, almost everybody did, did some form of a breathing meditation. It was so interesting to watch that happen. Um, but I watched the transformation of transformation to me, meaning again, we become more of who we really are. I watch people begin to have this experience of, Oh, there I am in there. Mm -hmm. And that to me comes back to my very deep conviction, Scott, it's no longer even a belief who we really are. The original spark that showed up here, the soul self, the natural self, whatever we call it before it, we learned the names for anything or the rules and how to be successful, how to be a failure. That inner being has never been lost. It's never been harmed. It hasn't been sullied. Yes. It can't be is my deep conviction. What happens is the connection to it gets stretched out and it gets full of static and it gets damaged and we forget, we forget to find our way back to, so this ego that we create to operate in the world, and I don't say ego is a negative thing. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a personality we create to operate in the world and it's patched together with survival strategies and coping mechanisms and conditioning and all these things. And, and sometimes people mistake themselves for that being that, that mm -hmm. creation that they've made this paper mache self that's out there. Um, and they feel so much shame about that because that, that is never going to live up to their highest ideal Our my ego self will never be <laughs> at the top of its game. In fact, the scramble to keep it there or make it be that just makes me exhausted and, and crazy, um, neurotic, but I just love that you brought us back to that really. And I feel like it's such a fundamental understanding that who we really are at the very core is powerful it's creative it's loving it's peaceful um it knows how to connect it's curious it's playful there's all those things in there yeah and i mean abraham hicks says about the inner being that that is where all of our suffering is created it's because when we're out of alignment with our inner being we suffer because what you said is what i believe deeply as well that, you know, our soul, our inner being, whatever word you use for it is never suffering, is a peaceful witness to all that is, is completely unaffected in any negative way by anything happening to any of us. That's my, my understanding, my sense of how, how this is, but that disconnection from it is, it's what creates all this like angst in us and fear. Because if we were aligned with that soul-centered place, we would be doing nothing but loving, you know, and feeling good and joyful and peaceful. And I really appreciate, though, that you you also said when you brought up the ego that you're not, you're not saying that in a negative way. Because I think, I know it's been part of my spiritual journey to turn the ego into enemy number one. And to go to war with it and to do everything in my power to try to kill it. And I'm so happy to be over that story, you know, because I, you can't go to war with any part of yourself and expect peace. 
you know, and it's, I, I think it's incredibly important to recognize the ego for what it is and what it's capable of, but not from a place of hatred, not from a, you know, not from a place of shame, just from an acknowledgement that as human beings, we all have egos and egos are capable of wild manipulation and intense fear and control. And that's just, that's part of who they are. And so what do we do about that? Can we hold space for that? The, the other thing I'm playing with, Jacob, not, I mean, just thinking about over and over about it, everything is like, you all have a seat at my table. There's space for, for all of you here. There's space for my envy. There's space for my fear. There's space for my ego, for my anxiety. Whatever it is that needs to show up, show up. Like I'm, I'm doing that right now with my, I'm, I've been in such heavy cell phone addiction and it feels gross. It really does. And so now I'm like, give the give your cell phone addict a space at the table too. Cause I my my relationship with that part of myself is very antagonistic. It's just I haven't embraced that part of myself. And so I'm working it, you know, just embracing it. And it feels energetically like this like really fucking annoyed 15 year old who's at the dinner table and wants nothing to do with anything. And it's just holding the phone, you know, um, I don't know, like that's like one of the images that comes up for me, but I'm just like, I'm playing it, giving everything a space at the table because when we give our energy to resisting parts of ourselves, one, it's a lot of energy that takes away from what we could be giving to other things, but also in my experience, the things about myself that I resist, I only energize in that resistance. I only make them bigger, heavier, bolder in my resistance to them. When you can say, hey, you two are welcome here, it's like it takes some of the air out of that balloon. God, it just changes. And I, I've loved coming into the sense of the personality um, ego, self, personality, whatever. I've, I've loved coming into this deeper appreciation for it, Scott, and going, when you're, when, when, when the inner being becomes a greater part of life, when that, when this ship is being sailed, steered more and more from that place, the ego can actually become such an incredible ally. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like this actor and knowing that it has a job to, to um, do on the stage of my life. Like there is nobody in this world who's like me. There is nobody with yeah. the particular composition. And I can hear a lot of listeners going, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, you know, like, like I in learning to embrace myself more and like, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, kind of shaggy and wild and not tameable and I'll post really terrible stuff that I think is fucking hilarious. And the next thing is going to be a Mary Oliver poem that I'm crying about. And like, just learning that it's like, it's not trying to overcompensate or say, look at who I am. It's just like, no, I'm more and more as time goes on, those parts are not falling up, falling off. So learning to be able to celebrate it and go, Hey, I love you. And by the way, I can see that got a little bit out of control there. So maybe reel that back just a bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm learning that there is this tremendous piece that comes that says I'm not doing anything to be ashamed of and definitely not trying. And if, in fact, if I get the impulse that I need to drive that 
part of me away from the table to me that has become such a warning flag like oh man you're getting you're getting ready to really you're gonna you want this to really turn into a shit show go ahead and drive that part away you know yeah it's so much i don't want to say wasted because is anything wasted i don't know but what i was going to say is it's so much wasted energy yeah (laughs) It's it's just a lot of energy that that ultimately doesn't usually serve in the best way. Yeah, I yeah. find. So uh, we touched on, um, and then I just wove this seamless tapestry of words afterward. There was no space, <laughs> as you do, as I do. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I but I didn't leave much space for. I would love for you to tell us and and especially listeners who don't really know what breath work is. Um, no, tell us what drew you to it, Scott, and, and, and why you're excited about sharing it. I'm, I'm excited because I love breath work. Yeah. I mean, for those who, when we're talking about breath work, um, not just talking about the breathing that's happening for us all the time. Um, you can, if you're interested, you could look up holotropic breath work or transformational breath work. There are different names for it, but I've had two um, I've only had two sessions, like hour long experiences with holotropic breath work. And they were both two of the most extraordinary hours of my life, honestly. And in one of them, I, I don't, I know how this may sound. I saw my soul. I, I saw the light within me more clearly than I've ever seen it. And it was just the most beautiful experience. And this was probably five years ago. And it's that experience has never left me. And I've been playing for the past couple of years with breathwork. There's a guy named Wim Hof, many of you may have heard of. He's his AKA the Iceman because he can, he like climbed Mount Everest in his bathing suit or some crazy shit like that. But he's really into breath as a process for moving energy. So I've been playing with breathwork for the past probably year and a half. But, but, you know, a handful of minutes at, the, at a time in the morning. And yet I keep feeling a call to dive deeper into it and have it as something, as some medicine that I can offer people. Like I see myself with people in one-on-one sessions, guiding them through their breath into, into their body. And what breathwork is so good at doing is moving energy and breaking up energy within you and clearing out stagnant energy that's happening in your body. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be taking a week long intensive. That's going to be in Albuquerque and it's nine to five for a week, every day, like a deep dive into breath work with this, um, this guy named David Elliott, who's been doing it for a couple decades, at least now he's based out of LA and a very dear friend of mine trained with him and recommended him as a person to train with. It's so weird to even talk about it, to think that we need to be trained to breathe, you know, <laughs> you know, I need you to do it. Do, though. My God, man. Like, uh, during this retreat, we had, uh, Stephen Farmer did some breath work, very, very, um, easygoing aspect mm-hmm. of breath work. Um, but just, just getting, he's like, now breathe and just feel, let your breath fill your body and just feel, feel where there's, tension and where there's like resistance to even letting the breath fill your body yeah. now breathe breathe some more into that area and um flora Boley did some things and robin jackson did some things with breath work just really simple things and i found myself um 
and you know, you and I are very familiar with this work, but it was just so interesting to notice, oh my God, the breath is showing me how tight my shoulders are. And oh my God. And then emotion. I mean, I would, I would, I had to turn my mic off at one point because I was actually crying out loud. Uh-huh. It touched something emotional in there, Scott. Oh yeah. And both, both sessions, I was in the hour long session sobbing. It, uh, uh, no sobbing on, I mean, that, that was part of it too. Cause yeah. it's, it's such a powerful release. And, and Jacob, one thing I've noticed about myself throughout my life is that I've never felt really connected to my breath. I, mm. I felt, I've never felt like it was easy for me to take deep breaths. I have a lot of in general throat congestion and I'm always sniffling, always coughing, always clearing my throat. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there and I'm, I mean, anytime I do any new thing, I'm like, this is going to be the thing that cures all things inside of me. But, but I, I do have a lot of high, high hopes and expectations because, because the truth is what you're speaking to is the power within us to direct our breath. We don't even think about direct. We're just breathing through the day. But what happens if you have if you have tightness in your in your back or in your elbow or something? What happens when you really are conscious about directing your breath into that place within you? So that's what I'm I'm excited to play with. All of well, it. Well, thinking back to um, I had. Oh my God. Okay. I'll tell the story. So oh, I was, I was thinking about the, um, I was thinking about the first time I experienced a true, like in breath work intensive, which was in Sedona, um, at the gathering of the shamans with, um, Linda Starwolf. And, um, that was powerful, but going back, I mean, probably 15 years ago, um, and this is before I had my big, you know, awakening experience and all that stuff. But this was, you know, I was definitely in the hunt for um, trying to make a better connection. And I had gotten this um, Kelly Howell. I don't know if you ever used any of her meditations, but um, no, back then it was, she was at the library. And so I got a set of, of discs, um, CDs, and this was awakening Kundalini breath work. And so she did the breath of fire and she did the all these things. And I was, you know, I was married and still, I wasn't Christian anymore, but I was still pretty, pretty tied up with all that stuff. And I had to go to a realtor open house right after that, Scott. And I had never, but I had never meditated. I had never, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. And I got to this open house and it was just me and this uh, woman realtor who's a dear friend. And I was a dear friend with her and her boyfriend and everything. So I, and I, there was all this sexual energy in the room and I didn't even know what to do with it. I was like totally freaked out because I was like turned <laughs> fuck on. Uh-huh. And eventually I just kind of was like, in, cause we were the only ones sitting there chatting and I'm like, I think I need to leave. It was, it was, such, it was such a weird experience for me. And I was so sexually repressed at the time, especially that I did not know. And I didn't realize. And then I went up later and looked into the Kundalini work and all this stuff. It's like, Oh yeah, no, you're totally waking up your, all your second shock or all the stuff, you know? And yeah. so, yeah. Anyway, the, the big outcome of that particular one was I got an enormous erection, but, um, <laughs> which, which was fun. Uh, we brought it back to sex after all. <laughs> we did. See, what you have to do is just help me breathe, Scott. Just yeah, breathe just right into it. just planted the seed in the beginning <laughs> subtly, and here we are talking about your enormous erection. <laughs> Keyword enormous. I don't like to brag or anything. I was going to say, hear that, hear that listeners? <laughs> 
all oh you size god. queens out there. That's right. Oh my god. So, um, <laughs> all right then. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, the second time I did this, uh, no, I did some of that later. Just, but the second time I actually had a full-on breathwork session was was. And I know you and I have both experienced psychedelics and had some really, really powerful journeys in, in that. Um, I was surprised, though. Randy Davila came out of, out of the first one that I did not attend. And he's like, holy fuck, man. He's like, that was, that was like trippier than LSD for me. Uh, you know, it was a young guy. He had done some of that stuff. And, um, and as not a young guy, I've done plenty of those things. And so, and so I, uh, I want to give him some deniability here. I, um, I saw what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't care. Spell his name for us. Again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's approximately exactly where he lives, everyone. Um, no, but so, but he was just, and I'm like, well, if Randy, if Randy said that, that was a powerful experience, because like me, he has a really strong bullshit meter and is just not interested in stuff that's not, you know, doesn't really connect. And so I went to the next one, and it's a deeply hypnotic. It can be deeply like getting way down into the theta brainwave state and where hypnosis happens, where suggestibility happens. And at one point, I mean, not only was I sobbing in the fetal position for a good portion of it, mm-hmm. but at one point, Scott, I was up on my arm, uh, up on my feet, like calling like a crow. Mm-hmm. And there were other people, there were like 70 people in this really large space. Yeah. And there were people having these really crazy experiences like that. And it was, and I just want to say, like the facilitators, um, Linda or Star Wolf, I'm supposed to call her, um, really exhibited so much wisdom in knowing how to. She she came by where I was on the mat at one point. At that point, I was like five or ten minutes in, and I was just kind of like, I wonder if anything's going to happen. I mean, I feel relaxed, and that maybe that's good enough, and I'm totally fine with that. So I was just kept breathing. And she came over and just sort of leaned over me and put her hand kind of right above my solar plexus. She said, oh, is it okay if I touch you? And I said, yeah. And she touched about more my solar plexus. It was like I just exploded. I just like started mm-hmm. sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how did you? Anyway, um, yeah, what a, what a powerful experience overall. And not just because of those kinds of fireworks, but just like to know how much is living within us. And I had that began a real process for me, I think of or continued a process of going, okay, I have things that I am not aware of that are that that have a lot of weight inside of me. Um, And I would like to address them. I'd like to find a way to gently go back there as often as needed. So I'm not carrying that stuff around, you know? Yeah, I I do know. And the the breath for me in, in breath work like this is just, it's another reminder about how divinely created our bodies are yeah. and the, that we have the resources within us for healing, for wisdom, for everything we're seeking. It's in us somewhere. And, and breath, breath is free. It's available to all of us anytime. You know, it's something that we can play with and work with and is, I'm, I'm convinced that it's one of the most powerful healers we have at our fingertips. And as you say, it's, isn't it interesting that the simplest things, the ones that are always available to us and always free, like always are sometimes the most powerful. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, and I can't wait to uh, invite you at least I'll put you on the spot right now. Uh, No, I can't wait to invite you to do some, some special work with our, with our um, community, with the Institute for creative living. Cause I love, and maybe I said this last week, Scott, Mm -hmm. but I just love what happened. It was like watching something come into form that, that was just had been a hope or a, or a hopefully inspired dream or something before of how can I, how can I, demonstrate, illustrate, invite people into an experience of what I see, which is, this is where this Venn diagram crosses each other in, it's not creativity over here and healing over here. It's no, we heal to create and we create to heal. And, and, and as we come into better love and well-being with our bodies and our minds, we naturally then begin to create more and more of what we would really love. And we begin to even know when we're not in alignment. Oh my God. I think that so many of us are in disassociated states so much of the time um, that to be called home, to be called to remember uh, a little bit at a time, just to remember, oh, that's right. That's the me I really know or am not familiar with, but want to get to know better. That's the me that is not afraid to face the circumstances of my life. Um, and so I just am so grateful that to have the opportunity and to have the opportunity to, to share with somebody like you, Scott, that giving people these steps back and not just handing it over, but saying, this is, these are the steps that I love to take in my life. And these are the things I keep practicing and they keep incrementally, slowly, noticing progress of, oh my God, I would have reacted in this way in that situation. And there was a little bit more space this time to make a choice. Yeah. Amen, brother. I just kind of felt, I just felt both of us kind of relaxed. I know. <laughs> I think maybe, I think maybe we're about done. What do you I think? think we're done. Yeah. I think that was, I think that was lovely. You know, I, um, I, w- I really want to encourage people to write to us with questions if you're if you're if questions are coming to you as you're listening to us or throughout the day and you're like I wonder what those two would think about that please go to heyjacobhiscott.com and uh, there's a form there where you can write in your question and there's a decent chance we'll get to it on on one of these episodes and um so do that if you will that would be great and um other than that just thank you all for listening it's really, I feel really good, Jacob, to be back doing this. This is like two weeks in a row. And um, I was I was looking forward to today. So um, I'm happy we're back on the horse. Oh, man, me too. In fact, I'm just looking to see if we have any comments that, that came in since last time. Um, let's just have a look I'm gonna, here. I'm gonna, as you're doing that, I'm going to say uh, that I was watching this movie. I can't remember the name of it. I Want You Back, I think. It was with um, Jenny Slate and Charlie Day. And there's this scene where the trainer is telling Charlie Day, who was recently out of a relationship, he says to her, he says to him, yeah, man, you just got to get, you just got to get back up on the whores. And Charlie Day's like, did you say whores? He's like, yeah, you got to get back up on the horse. He's like, Charlie Day's like, no, it's, it's horse. You get back up on the horse. And the trainer's like, you're not going to fuck a horse, dude. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was really funny. I thought well, I'm glad, he, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed that movie. I keep seeing it pop up in the Amazon thing. and um, Yeah, it was all right. I'm glad if you're in the mood for like, <laughs> if you're in the mood for that. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Well, I'm generally in the mood for, for filthy stuff. So uh, uh, I want to just give a quick shout out to Benito Outlaw. And he just says our, our he, she, they say that our site is wonderful. Um, and let's see here. Belinda, I want to give a shout out to you in just a moment. Um Theta friends, yes. I just, I'm just want to say hi. I don't see anything that needs to be directly addressed, but uh, I just want to say thank you for writing in, um, Belinda. You, also, you. you and yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's turn this. My, if I have an intention for this sh series we're doing, Scott, in the neck in the second uh, season of it, it would be that we end up with a more robust conversation with people. Um, and I think you said. Um, a few weeks ago when we were talking about getting it started again for the second season, you said something about maybe we ought to bring some people in occasionally. And I, I just, I'm curious if anybody has any comments on that or who you'd like to see us talk to. Um, but I feel pretty open to that. What do you think now, Scott? Oh, I would love that. Yeah. I think okay. it'd be great. Even if it's not every episode, I think it'd be fun to, yeah. to mix in some new, new voices and new energy. That'd be great. Yeah, and Chris Ann, uh, Chris Ann wrote and just listened to episode 24, um, and she has a lot to say about Eckhart Tolle. So we, we came back to Eckhart Tolle again. So Chris Ann, if you're listening to this episode, you said maybe it was that your sign to the universe, from the universe to, uh, to get back to it. Well, maybe it's time to get back to Eckhart Tolle. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. It's always a good time to get back to Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> 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 all right brother. uh scott well i uh i love you my friend and love um you too, man. thanks for thank doing you this. all we love you thanks for listening truly it's up to you to choose how good it can get how much love you can let into your life into your heart before your mind decides it's too much it's up to you to choose It's up to you to choose